So last week, if you tuned in online or if you were here in person, you remember that we learned about being extreme, that it really came down to three areas that have eternal value. And they are loving God, loving others, and spreading the truth of the gospel message. Now, in order to do those things effectively, we need to be empathetic towards other people, meaning we, meaning we need to try to understand where they're coming from. And that's where it becomes difficult, right? Trying to put yourself in someone else's shoes and understand where they're coming from, what their upbringing was, what their opinions are, what they believe. So being empathetic. But even though these three things, I believe loving God, loving others, and spreading the truth of the gospel— I believe these, th these three things benefit all who hear and are around. Unfortunately, sometimes we'll still face opposition when we do these things. We'll still, as believers, face opposition practicing these things. So what do we do? Well, today's topic is this. God's plan when we face opposition. God's plan when we face opposition. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to kind of do this with you by asking three main questions. And the first question when we face opposition is, is opposition an indication that what I'm pursuing is not God's plan? Okay, is opposition an indication that what I'm pursuing is not God's plan? So here's what happens. Sometimes we second guess ourselves, right? We're doing something and then people are opposing it. So then we think, is this really the right thing to do? Should I really be doing this? If people don't like what I'm doing or if people are opposing what I'm doing, should I really be doing this? So to answer that, we have to go to Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, and I'm going to read that to you. This is Jesus talking. It says this. He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics or coats. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed, the disciples departed, and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So here's what happens. Jesus commissions these 12 to go out and do good, okay, and proclaim the kingdom of God. In verses 1 through 4, he commissions them, says, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go out. You're going to have power. You're going to heal people from diseases. You're going to heal the sick, but you're going to proclaim the kingdom of God, or as we know it, the gospel message. You're supposed to go out, tell people, who Jesus is, and what he's done. Now remember, this is before Jesus actually died on the cross, so their message was probably a little bit different. It was more like Jesus is the Messiah to save the world. They didn't fill in all the blanks that we would fill in now, which is Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. Jesus rose from the grave to prove that he is God, and Jesus said all who believe will have eternal life. But Nonetheless, their commissioning was to go out and do these things. It wasn't only physical healing, but it was also spiritual healing because they were telling people about the kingdom of God. But then he says this, if they receive you, stick around, stay there, spend some time, teach those people. But if they don't receive you, 
In verse 5, Jesus tells them if there's opposition to the message, he actually says, leave. Leave. He says, don't stay. Okay? He says, leave. He doesn't say, well, you have the wrong message. He doesn't say, make it more attractive to them. He doesn't say, do a few more miracles so they listen up. He doesn't say, you did it wrong. He actually says, leave. But guess what? He still has a plan. So notice, there's opposition. Jesus says, don't fight with them. Actually, leave. God's plan always includes loving God, loving others, and preaching the good news. Maybe not necessarily in that order, maybe not necessarily at exact each time, but basically what he's saying is when you go out and you do these things, if people aren't interested, it's not an indication that you're not doing the right thing because you still are. And some people will oppose. So he says if they're unresponsive and they oppose, just walk away. But did you catch this? He said, shaking the dust off your feet. And this conveys this, like, kind of like the modern idea of like, I wash my hands of that. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, listen, you have no more responsibility than what you just did, okay? You just continue to go about your business. If they don't receive you, you can just leave. Now, Jesus was telling his disciples they were to preach the gospel to everyone, and where they were received with joy, stick around and stay and teach. But where they did not receive the message, just continue on. You've fulfilled your responsibility as a servant of Christ. So they were free to walk away with a clear conscience, knowing they did what they needed to do. Shaking the dust off their feet was in effect saying that those who rejected God's truth would not be allowed to hinder the continued progression of them preaching the gospel. So basically, to answer that first question is, opposition doesn't mean it wasn't God's plan. It means that sometimes we will face opposition because we're following after God's plan. Which then brings us to our next question, and that is, how should I handle opposition as part of God's plan? Now, we already learned one answer was to just leave, okay? Shake the dust off your feet. This does not mean, and in no way take this as you forget about that person and don't continue to pray for them, because you do continue to pray. And some of you have had situations in your life where you're like, I, there's really nothing else I could say. I've kind of taught them everything I know. I just, we just don't talk about it anymore. And sometimes you feel guilty about that. You're like, oh, maybe I should bring it up more. No, what Jesus says is, like, don't worry about it. But what you do need to do is you need to continue to pray for them. And some of you might even know people like that. You continue to pray, and then all of a sudden, years down the road, they bring up spiritual things. You're like, huh, that's interesting. Before, they never wanted to talk about it. Now they're bringing it up. But there's a couple of things. How should I handle opposition as part of God's plan? Obviously, you know, there's a time to leave. But then we also have to remember we don't retaliate because some opposition comes a little harsher, doesn't it? Some people actually hate what you're saying and they want to bring the message down. So there's a passage, if we follow along down, well, actually, you're not going to follow along because it's not in your thing. But um, in Luke 9, 51 through 56, I'll read it to you. It says this, when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, 
his face was to go to Jerusalem. And he sent message ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people, the Samaritans, did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said this. Listen, listen very carefully. So Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem. The Samaritans, where he was probably going to go through that area, did not receive him. They didn't want him there, okay? So James and John had a great idea, and some of you are going to love this idea. They said this, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> that sounds pretty crazy, right? Hey, Jesus, do you want us to get some flamethrowers and burn these people up? This sounds like a good idea if they oppose you, okay? What do you think Jesus said to that? Obviously, it says this, but he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. Well, let me explain what was going on here. So Jesus's face turned towards Jerusalem. Basically, the Samaritans did not like Jewish people. Now, when you hear Samaritan, you always think of this, the parable of the what? The good Samaritan. So uh, automatically you think, oh, Samaritans must be nice people. It's like, no, no, no. They weren't necessarily nice people. There was a few that were nice, maybe. The good Samaritan was. But just in general, Samaritans hated Jewish people. They were racist against them, okay? So basically, the fact that Jesus' face was turned toward Jerusalem made them hate him even more. He probably was deciding to go through there. Most of the time, when the Jews went to Jerusalem, they would go around Samaria to avoid any conflict or problem. But basically, what was going on was there was tension between the two groups. So these Samaritans opposed so James and John's response was, let's get back at him, okay? Let's get back at him. Jesus, we have all this power. Remember early on in Luke chapter 9, he said, go out, cast out demons, heal people and stuff. So these guys, they, they spent like a chapter in the Bible doing all these cool things, and they're like, hey, you know what? Maybe we could call some fire down and get rid of these people. And Jesus is like, you guys don't get it, do you? Okay? You don't retaliate. Unfortunately, there has been times in Christian history in which people groups did not respond to the message of Christ, and the Christian response was to retaliate against them, to use brute force. Most of you, if you've been in a college class, you know a lot of the college professors will say, well, those Christians and their crusades, those Christians and their brute force, those Christians and the Native Americans, they'll use these as examples of how terrible we are, right? But this is not what Jesus has taught us to do. So sometimes when we're trying to follow God and people stand in the way or don't respond the way they th we think they should, we get angry with them. And that's what happens to James and John. And Jesus said, basically, that's eh, not the way you handle things. As believers, we don't retaliate when people oppose us. So basically what's going to happen is sometimes you'll be trying to do God's will in your life, follow God's plan, and there's going to be people that oppose and maybe annoy you or maybe are aggressive towards you. But Jesus says, don't act like the world. Don't retaliate. Which brings us to the next way that we handle opposition as part of God's plan is we need to expect it. We need to expect opposition. It's tempting for us to get discouraged and second-guess ourselves, even question if we're doing the right thing when there's opposition. We're like, am I really doing the right thing? Is this what God really wants me to do? You may feel that way sometimes in our culture. 
Because what our culture will do is they'll criticize us, they'll critique or attack the Bible. Sometimes Christians fall into the trap of thinking, well, you know what? The Bible teaches something, but people in the culture don't like it. So let's just like not believe that part, okay? And you'll see around, you'll hear around churches in America and around the world, sometimes churches shrink back to what the Bible actually says. You've probably been here long enough to realize that we don't, we don't shrink back. We preach what the Bible says, whether we like it or not, or whether the culture likes it or not. It's truth from God's word, and it's not our, our job to change what God has said. But you know what? Sometimes people are going to hate on Christianity. They just are. And Jesus says this. I got news for you. Expect it. In John 15, 18, here's what he said to his followers. He says this. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So not only should we expect it, but we shouldn't be discouraged by it. Jesus said, hey, listen, guys, the world hated me first. So don't expect to follow after my plan and expect everybody to pat you on the back. You're going to run into some people that are not going to like you for your faith. You're going to do the right thing. They're going to feel convicted. You're maybe going to share some uh, scripture with them. They might not like that. They might feel convicted about it. Their sin inside them, the sin nature, is going to brew up that conviction, and that might actually turn into hatred towards us. Jesus said, hey, listen, stick to God's word. Stick to my word. And if people hate you, so be it. Expect it. There's going to be opposition. Don't shrink back. Don't run. Just continue to do what I've called you to do. I do want to offer some advice. You need, as Christians, we need to know when enough is enough, okay? Sometimes Christians don't know when to back off. You need to know when enough is enough. You may be 100% right. You may, you may know the Bible is 100% applicable in that situation, but those people are not ready to hear it. Then we go back to that shake the dust off your feet, right? I mean, people, if you're on social media, you might have noticed this before. You ever notice, like, you see, like, maybe a Christian arguing with a non-Christian, and you're, like, an onlooker, and you're looking at the comments, and you're like, oh, I wish they would stop, okay? They got to stop doing this. It's not helpful. It's actually hurting the cause. Know that sometimes people are going to hate on Christianity, and there might not be anything that you can say or any good argument that you have that's going to change their mind. What you need to do is you need to say, I'm going to leave this here. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to let God's Holy Spirit work in that person's life. I'm not going to try to play God in the situation and continue to force what I know to be true on them. I have to stop and know when enough, enough, enough is enough. So I've been talking about opposition from unbelievers primarily, but I'm sure all of you realize that sometimes fellow believers will oppose God's plan in your life. So the final question I want to deal with is this. What should we do when fellow believers oppose God's plan? Now, if we are sure 
what God's plan is for our lives, meaning that if those people that oppose us are successful, it would put us in a place of disobedience or sin, then you need to handle that like Jesus did. You just need to confront them, okay? If they're opposing something that you're doing that's right, and God wants you to do it, and it's God's plan in your life, and they're opposing it, sometimes you need to just stop and confront it. Now, there's an interesting confrontation between Jesus and Peter. So Jesus was telling his disciples, along with Peter, what was going to happen to him. He basically said, hey, listen, guys, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be taken away. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified. Then I'm going to rise on the third day. And then Peter takes Jesus aside and says, hey, Jesus, they're never taking you away. Not as long as I'm here, okay? They're not arresting you. They're not killing you. Do you know what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, 23? He said, get behind me, Satan. That's what he said to Peter. He said, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but you are setting your mind on things of man. Now, this is pretty harsh, but Jesus knew the Father's plan for him. He knew he was to be crucified. If Peter stood in the way of that, he was basically saying, you're working for the other team. You're being used by Satan. But you know what? It's interesting that Peter did not, it, it, it's interesting that Peter did not pay close attention because like I shared with you, it was also in Matthew 16, the previous verses, Jesus said, I'm going to be arrested, crucified, and I'm going to do what? I'm going to rise again three days later. Peter wasn't paying attention. Think about this for a second. If Peter was really paying close attention, he'd be like, okay, this is going to stink, this is going to stink, this is going to, but that's going to be great. Because he's going to rise from the dead. So Peter stood in the way and Jesus confronted it. You know what? Sometimes fellow believers oppose one another because they're not paying attention to the bigger picture. They're not paying attention to the bigger picture of loving God, loving others, and preaching the gospel. This happens in churches when people lose focus on what the church's purpose is. And they start to think the church just exists for them. And I know I'm encouraged by our church because I know you realize this church does not just exist for us. Okay? That's part of the church existence. Forty years ago when our church was planted, this church existed because we wanted to get the message of Jesus out. And you know what happens sometimes in churches? They just become very comfortable. They're like, oh, we got enough people. That's fine. Nobody else needs Jesus. We have each other. We can have a potluck supper, you know, and hang out. And that's not the purpose of the church. It's one of the purposes of the church. So when the church becomes focused on ourselves, we actually become a holy, a holy huddle. Yeah, holy muddle. Okay, a holy huddle. And here's what happens. We start to set our minds on things of man or people and not things of God. I'm not saying that you should go around pointing at people and saying, get behind me, Satan. Okay, that's not a good way to confront people. Jesus can do that. But when we're aware that believers are off focus, we need to gently confront them. If you're wondering how to do that, Matthew 18 teaches us exactly how to do that in a loving, gentle way 
so that we can bring that believer back to their senses or God's senses, so to speak. The second way we deal with fellow believers that oppose God's plan is we work it out. I just want to clarify that these are not things that are sinful. These are things that maybe you have a philosophical dif- disagreements with, uh, disagreement with on how you do ministry or how we do ministry in certain situations. And they're not necessarily clear cut in the scriptures. This is the beauty of having different churches, right? Each church kind of does like their ministry in the way they do it. And, you know, when people come to me and say, oh, this Pastor Mike, this church is doing this. We should do the same thing. I'm like, well, if they're doing it and reaching people through it, great. We're doing what we're doing. They're doing what they're doing. Great. Well, there's a great example of this in Acts chapter 15 with Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas agreed to travel to every city that they preached to and planted churches in for the purpose of encouraging those churches so they can continue to do the work. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him. Well, Mark or John Mark, Paul did not want him to come with him. Earlier on in Acts 13, Mark left them. They don't really, the scriptures don't really tell us the exact reason. It might have been for fear of the spiritual warfare was going on. It might have been for like the disagreement in ministry. Whatever it was, Paul did not want Mark to come with him. Barnabas did. So either way, Paul did not trust Mark. So he was like, I, I just don't want to travel with this guy. So here's what happened in Acts 15, 39. It says, and there arose a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. So they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went to Syria and Sicilia to strengthen the churches. So see what happened? So we have Barnabas who wanted to take Mark, Paul who didn't want to take Mark, Barnabas took Mark, Paul took Silas, they parted ways, and they divided, and they got more ministry done. Okay, so basically they worked the problem out. It wasn't fully worked out till later on. Then you'll eventually see Paul will actually say, oh, you know what? Like I, I, I was like a little harsh in that situation. Mark's, Mark's very useful, okay? Because I guess Mark proved himself eventually to Paul. But the point here is they worked it out. Okay, so Christians together, if there's opposition amongst you or if there's a problem amongst you, you confront and you work out. The caveat here is this. We need to handle it the godly way. We don't stop following God's plan to love him. We don't follow, stop following God's plan to love others. And we don't stop following God's plan to preach the gospel. So as far as God's plan goes, opposition is not an indication that we're not following God. Opposition is part of God's plan. So don't retaliate and expect that it will happen. And when opposition comes from fellow believers, confront it and work it out. 